If you have a bulletin, you should have an outline tucked away in there. And uh, we are in John chapter 8. There are printed messages at both exits you can grab. There are um, audio messages and printed on the church website as well, so you can take advantage of those. going to read verses 37 to 47 in John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking here. I know that you, the Jews he's talking to, are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore... You also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. If you're doing the deed, or you are doing the deeds of your father, they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. For me, some of the scariest verses in the entire Bible are Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I mean, here are people who are calling Jesus Lord, and they have served him in some pretty impressive ways. I mean, prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles in his name. And yet Jesus says they're going to be turned away from heaven at the judgment because they were 
false children of God as revealed by their lawless lifestyles. And since we're talking heaven and hell and you and I are all going to dwell either in heaven or in hell for eternity, this is not a minor thing. You want to make absolutely sure that you are a true child of God and not a false child of God, one who is going to heaven and not to hell. Now, in our text, to pick up the context again, as we saw last week in verses 30 and and 31, there were many who professed faith in Christ, but it was not genuine saving faith. And we get a first hint of that in verse 33 when they boast that they are trusting in their lineage, in their Jewish heritage for right standing with God. And they mistakenly thought, well, you know, we're not pagan Gentiles, we're Jews, so we're good to go. And yet Jesus tells them, no, you're slaves of sin. They thought they were spiritually free. But Jesus goes on and says that it's only those who abide or continue in his word who are truly his disciples. And then in verses 34 to 36, Jesus dealt with their claim to be spiritually free. And he shows them, you are not free unless I, the Son of God, sets you free. And then you will be free indeed. Now, in our text, he's dealing with their other claim. We are Abraham's children. And Jesus here is showing them, uh, no, your murderous intentions toward me show that you are not Abraham's children. You are, in fact, children of the devil which I'm sure would have hit them like a a blast, you know, to tell these self-righteous Jews that. But Jesus is here teaching what he teaches elsewhere, and that is that conduct always stems from one's nature. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Children of God, because they have a new nature, produce good deeds. Uh, Children of the devil, because they do not produce bad deeds. But having said that, I have to say, it's not quite so easy on our part to distinguish. Because every one of us has met some unbelieving people. Maybe they even just flat out say, I don't believe in God or in Christ. And yet they're good people. I mean, put good in quotes, but they are the kind of people you want for neighbors. They're, they're kind. They treat others well. They may volunteer at the soup kitchen, you know. They, they give to charity. Uh, they're good people in the human sense of the word. And then, on the other hand, we all know some people who they can give a pretty clear testimony of their faith in Christ. They can outline the gospel for you very clearly and make it clear exactly what it required, what is required to have eternal life by believing in Christ. And yet, they've done some pretty horrible things. Uh, some of them even are in prison. I write to some of them. <laughs> I got about four or five prisoners that I write to regularly And after they made professions of faith in Christ, in some cases, uh, they did these things that ended them uh, in prison time. So, bottom line, only God knows 
the human heart truly, and we can guess, but we need to always be a little tentative when we're trying to determine, well, who is the child of God and who is not, and we don't even know our own hearts that well. I mean, sometimes don't you have the experience of fluctuating between really loving the world and loving God? And 1 John 2.15 says those are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And yet sometimes the things of the world lure us and we, we're wanting them and going after them, even as children of God. And so, again, to the best of our ability, we need to apply the tests that we're going to look at here in our text first to ourselves. And then, um, as you're helping someone else, who you're discipling, and I hope you're all involved in trying to help someone else grow in Christ. Uh, Help them to apply these tests to themselves, but we always need to be a little careful before we say, that person isn't a Christian because, da-da-da. It's better to just say, well, boy, right now I sure don't see the signs of of new birth in them. Uh, They may be a Christian who is just strained like, in Pilgrim's Progress and to Bypath Meadow for a while. But, boy, right now, uh, it's, the jury is out. But here, here's, here's the principle of our text, and that is false children of God follow Satan and his evil deeds because they have not been born of God. And by way of contrast, true children of God love Jesus and they obey his word And the reason is because they have been born of God. And so we'll see here a number of characteristics of both false and true children of God. Let's look at the false first. False children of God think that they're following God, but they're actually, Jesus says, following Satan and his evil deeds because they have not been born of God. And what makes this dialogue scary for me is that these Jews that Jesus is is talking to, they're actually children of the devil, Jesus says in verse 44, but they were very religious people. They professed to believe in Jesus up in verse 30 and 31. Uh, So we're not dealing here with raw pagans, you know, who are just living a profligate lifestyle. Uh, We're not dealing with avowed atheists. We're not dealing with Muslim terrorists who are blowing up people and claiming to be righteous uh, or Hindu idolaters. We're we're dealing with people who professed to believe in the God of Abraham. Outwardly, they were very zealous for their religion. And yet Jesus plainly tells them they are deceived. They're actually in Satan's camp. And so... The application is that we who profess to be Christians and maybe even are zealous about our faith just need to think through carefully these five characteristics that we have here of false children of God to make sure we're not deceiving ourselves. The first one is this. False children of God count on their religion to put them in good standing with God. And This theme is repeated here several times, so we won't miss it. Up in verse 33, they tell Jesus, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. So they're they're trusting in that heritage. We're good Jews. Verse 37, Jesus acknowledges that they're Abraham's descendants physically, 
but they still, uh, he contends they are not Abraham's descendants spiritually, but then in verse 39, they still contend Abraham is our father. And then Jesus goes on and points out that their deeds were not in line with Abraham's deeds and uh, indicate a different father, but at the end of verse 41, they retort a third time, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Now, that last comment, there could be a couple of things behind it. As I mentioned before, they could be alluding here, making a slur on Jesus' birth. Um, It was widely known, and rumors had circulated for decades, that Mary had conceived Jesus out of wedlock. And uh, so they may be putting Jesus down here, saying, who are you to talk about being Abraham's children? You know, you were born of fornication. We were not. We're legitimate. You're not. That could be one slant. Or it could be a reference to the fact that we're not Gentile idolaters. You know, in the Old Testament, idolatry is equated with spiritual adultery. And so they may be saying here, we weren't born like these pagan Gentile idolaters. After all, we're Jews. We're faithful because we were born of Abraham. And so we have God as our father. However you take it, it's very clear. They're counting on their religious heritage for right standing with God. And I think we have a good example of that in the Apostle Paul. You remember that he says in Philippians 3, he, he outlines his Jewish pedigree, you know, uh, born of the tribe of Benjamin. On the eighth day I was circumcised, and I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews, and as to the law, blameless. And he goes on and on with his heritage, and then he says, but since I met Christ, that's a pile of rubbish. He just writes off the whole thing and says that it's faith in Christ that that saves us. And Paul wrote in Romans 2, 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Or a similar verse in Galatians 3, 7, he says, Therefore be sure it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So, you know, here's how we apply this. It's a great blessing to be born to Christian parents and to be reared in the church as I was. And I thank God for that. But that blessing only increases your level of accountability on Judgment Day if you don't come to saving faith yourself, repent of your own sins, and really walk with the Lord, respond to the gospel, in other words. And uh, if you don't, you've been given more light than the kid born over in Afghanistan. And so that's a scary thing about that. You've got to respond to the gospel personally if you have been exposed to it. A second characteristic of these false children of God, they're deceived into thinking that they're children of God, but um, Jesus says their actions actually show them to be children of the devil. 
See, these Jews claimed that Abraham and God were their spiritual fathers, but they're blind as to who their real spiritual father was. Jesus plainly says it's the devil. In response to their contention that Abraham was their father, in verse 39 and 40, Jesus says, If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. And then in response to their claim that uh, their father is is God, uh, Jesus in verse 42, again, gives the test of of, uh, behavior. He says, if God were your father... You would love me, for I proceeded from God and proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. And so the, the anomaly is, on the one hand, they're claiming to be true children of God and of Abraham, and on the other hand, they're trying to kill the very one who came from God and whom God sent to be the Savior of, of the earth. And so their actions reveal their true nature, that they're not children of God at all. They're children of the devil. And then in verse 44, Jesus goes on to explain that Satan is both a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Satan murdered the entire human race when he lied to Eve and said, well, God hasn't said such and such. And when she fell into sin... The curse of death came on all of Adam's descendants. And so Satan is both a murderer and a liar. And since these Jews are seeking to murder Jesus, and in verse 55 he calls them liars, he's saying, you're just reflecting your father's nature. We have a saying, you know, well, he's a chip off the old block, or or like father, like son. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here of them. They thought they were the righteous ones. They thought Jesus was the liar and the deceiver. But here's the hard question. Again, in applying this, we all need to ask. um, Whose child do my actions reveal me to be? And uh, there are many, many tests of that in the New Testament, but I'm just going to limit myself to the two in verse 44. Murder and lying. You go, wow, well, at least I'm off the hook on the first one. I've, I've never murdered anyone, and I'm not trying to, and I'm not even thinking about murdering anyone, but not so fast, because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21, 22, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, shall be guilty before the court. And everyone who says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Whoa. (laughs) Does that convict anyone? You know, Jesus is saying that if you've got a serious anger issue... At the very least, according to Paul in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says if you're not dealing with your anger there, the devil gets a foothold in your life. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is you're not a true child of God. 
I mean, anger is not a minor, you know, oh, it's just kind of my fault. No, it's, it's a serious, serious sin. And we have to judge our anger if we are children of God. I know it's a battle for some, and it'll be a lifelong battle for some. I know godly men who battled their anger all their lives. Francis Schaeffer was one, and he admitted that. But he battled it. (laughs) He fought it. He hated it. He wanted to overcome it. That's the point. All right, let's look at the other one there, lying. Jesus says of Satan in verse 44, He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, you have to be committed to being a person of truth. And it's easy to sit in church and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in the truth, and I, I, I'm trying to be truthful. The, the hard thing is, when it's to your disadvantage to be truthful, are you truthful? You know, it's going to make you look bad to be truthful. Are you truthful? And uh, another test is hypocrisy, because hypocrisy is really lying. Hypocrisy is where you look at a church And then you go home and you scream and yell at your wife and kids and you you totally live opposite to what you live when you're around the Christian crowd. That's lying. Now, I'm not saying you should scream and yell at the Christian crowd, of course. I'm saying (laughs) you, you ought to deal with your sin and live consistently in both places, you know. In other words, be a person of love and peace and patience and all of those qualities in both places. So, first of all, he says, then false children of God, they count on their religion, not on Christ, to put them in good standing with God. Secondly, they're deceived into thinking they're children of God, but their actions show that they're not. Thirdly, false children of God seek to eliminate Christ and his word from their lives because they don't want to hear the truth about their sin. They're they're trying to kill Jesus because, in verse 37, He says, my word has no place in you. And then in verse 40, he tells them, but as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Told you the truth. Um, Which I heard from God, and this Abraham did not do. And then in verse 45, Jesus adds, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now, why not? Well, we saw back in John 3, those who are in the darkness don't like to come to the light because it exposes their evil deeds. And Jesus, speaking the truth, exposed their sin. And rather than dealing with their sin, they're trying to eliminate the messenger. And that's a very common thing. Now, again, please keep in mind, we're not talking here about atheists and agnostics and people who are anti-God. These are the religious crowd. To put it in modern terms, these are the church members. You know, some of them are the uh, church on the governing board of the church. Some of them are in the ministry because these are the Pharisees who were the teachers of Israel, the, the Bible teachers and so on. And so you have to ask, well, how then do professing Christians today try to eliminate Christ and his word from their lives? And there are several ways. Uh, One, let's take so-called liberal Christians, and I hate to put the two words together because um, 
J. Gresham Machen wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism, and he argued they're two separate religions, and he's really right. But they often get rid of the word by undermining its authority, by saying the Bible's full of errors and we can't trust it. Often they start with the early chapters of Genesis, say those aren't history, and that way they can believe in evolution. They move on to eliminating all the miracles in the Bible. Well, that was an ancient culture, and they were gullible, and they believed in a a world of fairy tales, but we now, with modern science, know better. So they get rid of the miracles. And then when they encounter things in the Bible that don't line up with our more enlightened age, they uh, get rid of those as well. For example, they argue, well, the biblical roles for men and women That was all cultural way back then when you had a lot of uh, misogynist guys like Paul, but we're more enlightened now. Or they will say homosexuality, if you're against that, you're homophobic because that's the spirit of our age. And the Bible uh, was written in a day when they didn't know any better. And so they take from the Bible these overarching themes of love and tolerance, but the bottom line then is we can't judge anyone's sin uh, because we don't know right and wrong, and it's all culturally determined. And basically then the Bible is just a nice book, kind of like Shakespeare. Once in a while you can pick up a good tip from it, but it's not authoritative. So they eliminate the Word of God from their lives. But... It's easy to sit here and throw stones at the liberals and then go home and feel good about ourselves. So let's maybe throw a few at ourselves as well here. Uh, How do evangelicals eliminate the word from their lives? I think one of the most common ways we do it is by simply neglecting the word. Uh, I, I am amazed sometimes when I find out that Christians are not reading their Bibles consistently. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you have read through the entire Bible more than once, but I would guess it's not a majority. We just neglect it. You know, we don't read it. We don't seek to obey it. Uh, We're ignorant of what it says. We haven't taken time to read and meditate on it so it doesn't confront our sins. We just dodge it by neglecting it. And another way Christians neglect it is they go to feel-good churches where the pastor tells them how to have their best life now and he never brings up sin and all of that kind of baloney. It's the the biggest church in America. You know, uh, we just neglect the word. Another way we try and eliminate or at least dilute the word is we mix it with worldly ideas. Uh, One of the most prevalent is to mix the Bible with modern psychotherapy. If you have real problems, <laughs> well, you know, this is a good book, but let's face it. It doesn't tell you how to deal with real-life problems. For that, you've got to go to an expert. And he'll tell you how to build your self-esteem. You know where that idea came from? It didn't come from somebody studying the Word and saying, Whoa, look at that. The Bible says we should build our self-esteem. It came from Carl Rogers, who's an atheist psychotherapist. That's direct line into the church. And now every Christian thinks, I am to build my self-esteem. It just goes against biblical humility. It it feeds our pride. It's not in the Bible. Um, I first discovered it reading some of the old guys. 
And every one of them decries self-love. Says, that's at the root of all sin. And I went, whoa. That doesn't sound like what I'm hearing from the other camp. But mixing. Another way we either eliminate or dilute Christ's word, and I've encountered this, is we put personal revelations on the same par or even superseding Scripture. Have you encountered that? I've had believers tell me, um, you know, God told me I should marry this unbeliever. God told me that. Really? God's Word says differently. Oh, but God told me it's okay. You know, I had a Christian man tell me once, God told me to divorce my wife, a Christian woman. It took me three hours to talk him out of that. And I said, no, God wasn't speaking to you in that. But see, God told me it's okay. Here in town, there was a charismatic pastor who was separated from his wife, and his elders had not asked him to step out of the pulpit. And I was at a gathering with one of these elders, and this came up. I didn't bring it up, but when it did come up, and I asked him privately, I said, why haven't you as elders asked that man to step out of the pulpit? And he said, well, the Lord hasn't told us to do that. And I said, oh, but he has told you to do that. Oh, no, he hasn't spoken to us. I said, yes, he did. Uh, Let me show you. It's right here in 1 Timothy 3, where it says that an elder should be an example in his own home. And he said, well, the Lord hasn't put that verse on our hearts yet. You know, so personal revelation dilutes or sets aside the Word of God so we don't have to obey the Word of God. Uh, Be careful. So these false, false Christians, false children of God, count on their religion not on Christ for good standing with God. They, they are deceived into thinking we're children of God while their lives totally belie that fact. And then they try and eliminate Christ in his word because they don't want to deal with their sin. And then fourthly, false children of God attack or look down on those who convict them of sin. And that's behind, I think, the Jews' comment in verse 41. We were not born of fornication, We have one Father, God. That statement is just filled and reeking with pride and disdain for others. As I said, it was either a slur against Jesus or it was a slur against the Gentiles. But in either case, uh, it's just diverting the issue. You know, they needed to confront their own sin. They're saying, we're not like those people. And so they're dodging... uh, their sin by running down those who are uh, convicting them of sin. True believers always come to the Word of God, and if it convicts you, you go, ouch, ah, but you repent. And you say, God, God, help me. I don't want to be that way. I want to be in line with your Word. And then finally, false children of God are not able to understand or to obey Jesus' word because they are not born of God. And this gets to the root. This is the reason why all these other things that we've looked at are so. And it comes up twice here. In verse 43, Jesus asks them, Why do you not understand what I'm saying? And then he answers his own question. It's because you cannot hear my word. 
Now, you'll notice he does not say it's not because you do not hear my word. He says it's because you cannot hear my word. It's the Greek word dunamai, which means that you don't have the power or the ability to obey my word. It's a question of inability. And then in verse 46, Jesus asks, Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? And then again, he answers his own question in verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you don't hear them, because you are not of God. In other words, they're not born of God. And the Bible is clear that because of sin, unbelievers cannot do anything pleasing to God. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 8 says that. The Bible says that unbelievers are unable to comprehend or understand spiritual truth, including the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.14, 2 Corinthians 4.4, both say that. Um, And yet, at the same time that they are spiritually incapacitated, God holds them accountable and responsible for their sin. And I know what you're thinking. That's not fair. But you've got to really be careful there because the Bible doesn't bring up fairness. The Bible says that's who God is and that's who you are. And you know what your response should be? Um, Romans 10:13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call on his name for mercy. Call on his name for mercy. And then when he grants mercy, don't pat yourself on the back, but remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, but by his doing, you're in Christ Jesus. It was God that worked in you, and it is, he's the one who gets the praise and the glory. So, false children follow Satan, not God. Uh, because they have not been born of God. Now let's look briefly at true children of God. And they love Jesus, and they obey his word because they have been born of God. So we're contrasting them here with these false children of God. And I can only hit these very quickly, but just four marks of true children of God. First of all, true children of God give God's word the primary place in their lives. And here I'm flipping Verse 37 on on its head. There Jesus said, My word has no place in you, in unbelieving, um, these unbelieving Jews. And uh, as you notice, if you have a New American Standard in the margin, that, that phrase could be translated, My word makes no progress in you. Uh, it's, it's not advancing. And... Uh, That ties in with verse 31. Those who continue in my word are truly disciples of mine. So it's abiding in his word, as I said last week, that gives you a continuing victory over sin. True children of God then can say with the psalmist in the familiar verse you know, Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, The Word has primary place in true children of God. Secondly, true children of God then obey God's Word. Verse 47, He who is of God hears the words of God. And the word hears there doesn't just mean 
audibly you heard them. It has the nuance of obeying them. You hear with the mean, with a, a view to obey. Um, <clears throat> in verse 39, Jesus says, If they were Abraham's true children, they would do the deeds of Abraham. And Abraham in the Old Testament is noted for two things. He believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So he, he was justified by faith. And he obeyed God as seen supremely when he offered Isaac on Mount Moriah there in obedience to God that showed his faith was genuine. 1 John 2, 3 says this, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so, again, it's not looking at we all fail, we all sin, but it's looking at the overall trend of our lives. Is it on the path of obedience? And when you stumble, do you get up and get back on the path and say, I want to obey the Lord? Thirdly, true children of God love Jesus. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. And remember when Jesus restores Peter, we'll get to that in chapter 21. And three times he basically says, Peter, Simon, son of of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Paul emphasizes the importance of it in 1 Corinthians 16.22. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Now, you have to define biblical love. It's not primarily a feeling because we get people, oh, how I love Jesus and I felt really good. Um, If love is based on feelings, Marla and I would not have been married for 40 years today. Love is a commitment that seeks the highest good of the one loved. Now, feelings are involved. I feel very deeply about her often, but that's not the basis. The basis is a commitment to seek that person's highest good. In the case of loving Jesus, you're committed to seeking his glory, his honor, to make him look good with your life so that others say you serve a wonderful Lord. That's the commitment. And uh, you make that commitment just as you do when you stand to exchange your marriage vows. And uh, you love Jesus enough to forsake your sin because you know that sin dishonors him. And you want, to, you want him to be honored. That's your commitment. And then finally, true children of God love Jesus and obey his word because <clears throat> they have been born of God. And as we saw at the heart of why false children of God are not able to understand and obey Jesus' word, they're not of God. And the flip side in verse 47, Jesus says, He who is of God hears the words of God. And he means the one who is born of God, as we saw back in chapter 3. Uh, The reason that we now love God and obey his word is he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have a new nature now that wants to follow him and um, the spirit of God by his grace now dwells in us. And as Paul says, he opens to us the treasures of Christ and who he is to us. And so the reality of the new birth is what distinguishes true children of God from children of the devil, false children of God. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says this, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 
examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Now, there's a balance here. Some, by nature, go too far, and they are so introspective about it that they can never have assurance of salvation because they're always examining every motive and everything, and they just get consumed with it, and that's out of balance. I don't want you going there. On the other hand, there are some who maybe, by, again, by nature, they're so glib and happy-go-lucky, they never bother to look inside at all. They just kind of blow off sin and keep rolling along in their lives and never stop to really think, wait a minute, how am I doing here? What am I doing? And why? And so there's, there's a balance that I want you to have. But the point is, true Christianity is a matter of the heart before God. And Paul does say, examine yourselves. And the most tragic thing in the whole universe would be to stand before Jesus someday and hear him say those awful words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So my heart this morning is I want every one of you to make sure, by God's grace, I am a true child of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that you would help us to have the balance we need in these important matters. I pray if anyone here is your true child and they've been defeated by sin, that you would lovingly put them back on the path and, and uh, help them to be restored as you restored Peter. On the other hand, if some are here and they're like Judas, I pray that before they go too far, you would turn them around and bring them to repentance and genuine faith that they would not face your eternal judgment. Thank you that salvation is your gift, free to all, and it's received by faith alone because of your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.